The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. And sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people. Welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. This is Arun Sudharman from The Homes Report and we are podcasting uh, live from the Cannes Lions. Uh, so as always, a big, big shout to our uh, production partner, Marketeers, and um, our sponsor uh, of our overall Echo Chamber, uh, March Communications, and a big shout to Russell Goldsmith, who's very kindly helping us out with uh, audio engineering and production duties today. Uh, and so we're joined today by two people from a firm that's doing pretty well at Cannes <laughs> this year, Ketchum. So first, first um, we have Ruth Yearly, who's partner, director of Insight and Strategy at Ketchum London. Ruth, welcome. Thank you, Arun. Glad uh, to be here. Thank you, yeah. And Tara Miller is partner, director of strategic and creative planning um, at Ketchum Chicago. Yes. Tara, welcome. Thank you so much. So before we, um, before we melt from the heat, because we're outside, and I'm sure people will love to hear our tales of hardship and woe from, uh, from a week in Cannes, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about creativity, which... Um, I guess makes sense. Uh, and in particular, what inspires creative performance and creative thinking? Um, and Ruth and Tara, you, you, I don't know if this is a view both of you share, um, but this idea that uh, it's important for people to tap into the intersection of work and leisure uh, is important when it comes to inspiring creativity. And I wondered if perhaps you could tell our listeners why it's important. Um, and I'm happy to start with Ruth. I think it's incredibly important that people just bring themselves to work. What I find is really interesting is that people can do things, and as soon as they walk over the threshold of the office, they forget how to do them. So they forget how to target, which is just basically being able to talk to people in the right tone of voice. They forget how to, that they're creative because we give those things titles that then make people think they can't do them so I really believe that if people just brought their skills and their interests into the office with them I can't tell you how many people I've talked to present who then tell me that they do amateur dramatics mm. uh, you know and they don't understand that those are the same things so I really encourage people to just keep it human and, and therefore they will be better at work because they're just doing what they're good at, being themselves. Mm. So you find that the problem is people are too focused on work when they're at work and, and they're not thinking about what they're like outside work and bringing that in. That's a brilliant way of putting it. Absolutely right. They think that a different set of rules apply for success. Okay. So, for example, you know, there's a lot of things you can learn from the world of dating when it comes to new business. Mm. You would never sit on a date and talk about yourself, would you? And yet sometimes you... <laughs> Arun might do that, his face is implying. Um, but sometimes, you know, when we're trying to sell ideas to clients, we think it, we, we want to talk about how hard we've worked and what we've done and how clever we are, rather than what we can do for them and ask them questions. So that's just one example where people have a lot of skills out of work that they don't necessarily bring in. And I mm. think the other thing is, 
work doesn't help that situation by dressing things up in complicated jargon and language we deliberately exclude people and make them act in different ways mm. I was actually in um, a can session earlier this week where somebody asked a question from the floor and the moderator actually refused to ask the question because it had so much jargon in they'd referred to NPD and FMCG mm. and the moderator said people in this room don't understand those therefore I'm not going to answer it until we can just talk to each other and that was really I thought a, a good moment which is we just need to learn to talk to each other mm. in work and out of work okay excellent and Terry, your thoughts on this? I think that Ruth and I are in violent agreement about this. Um, one of the things that doesn't help is talking about work-life balance. Mm. Um, it implies that it's so separate. And, you know, if you, it, it has to be 50-50 or 60-40. Mm. And the fact is, there is no such thing as work-life balance anymore. It's just working and living your life. And you can do that now, especially with technology. Of course, we can do that anywhere. So, you know, a great example for me is that part of where I get my inspiration is from being in the countryside, and I'm lucky enough to have an old farmhouse. I live in the city of Chicago in a little condo, and I go to work downtown Chicago every day, but then on the weekends, and about one day a week, I get to go out into the country and, and work from there, and it really does give you literally and figuratively a new point of view, mm -hmm. and I find that to be really refreshing. It gives me a, a, a peace that I can't have in the city, and I'm able to bring that into work, and I'm also able to work from there as well, and it works quite well for everyone. Mm. So we've, we've talked about perhaps the balance swinging too far towards work and that impeding creativity. Do you ever see it the other way around? Do you ever see employees who, I don't know, turn up in their pajamas or whatever, and who are, who are, who are too kind of focused on their, their life outside of work, and that, that actually becoming an obstacle to to uh, to effective thinking i don't think that necessarily being too relaxed is an impediment what i think is an impediment is when people think that their life outside work is the only life mm. so we talked mm. earlier today about a creative echo chamber so you know if you're a, i'm from london and i used to work in shoreditch and and if, if, the, if the people at work come in and they want to talk about clubbing and, and the answer is always, you know, let's do a club night, that doesn't help. Mm. So I think it's really important, as well as bringing their point of view in, that they do understand that other people in the office might not be in their pyjamas having just come from a club and they need to mix that up and co-create. So it's not necessarily that people bring too much of themselves to work it's just that they need to also make space for other people to bring themselves and to appreciate that we're not all the same when it comes to in and out of work mm -hmm. okay um tara any thoughts from you yeah i think that um you know we we need to remember that most of the time we're not marketing to ourselves i think it's especially when you're a little newer uh to um, the working world, you can forget that you're not the target audience. And um, I happen to come from a very small agricultural town in um, the middle of the state that I'm from, Illinois in the U.S. And, uh, you know, those are a lot of people who are buying our clients' products every day in the grocery store. And it can be really hard to remember that when you mm. are, you know, on the 36th floor of a building in a large city. 
And I think um, something that I know that I have and I also happen to know that Ruth has as well is a real interest in people. And I, um, I have a very high, I guess, EQ, I like to think. And I think that's really important too. I think it com- it's curiosity, it's caring about people and, and being curious about other people. That's really going to help a lot. And that's part of that bringing yourself, your whole self to work. Mm. You, you both talked about the importance of, um, of I guess, intertwining uh, life with work uh, and being relaxed in the workplace. How much of this is down to um, the PR industry? I've, I've, I've noticed in my, my kind of coverage of, of it over the years, uh, especially compared with, say, the advertising world, is a little bit more formal in the way it, it presents mm. itself. You know, it's, it's often suited and booted. There's a, maybe a culture that comes from the, the CEO down to, uh, to be a little bit more reticent about its sharing its views and opinions. I mean, do you think these are, these are, are, are fair observations and, and need to be addressed? I think I think that uh, I agree with you. I've definitely seen that the PR industry can be a little more formal than, say, our sisters in advertising. Um, I, that probably comes from a lot of the more corporate type of work that that gets done, and um, a lot of the reputation work that that would have been born out of PR. Um, but I mean, I can speak for from my office. We have a pretty casual atmosphere. I mean, we know to stand up straight when clients come into the room, but um, but we have a, a pretty casual atmosphere, and um, we pride ourselves on having a flexible workplace in all sorts of different ways, which is frankly crucial um, to maintaining our staff. Mm-hmm. Ruth, yeah. I'm not really sure about the formality because I'm not a very formal person. So really, <laughs> <laughs> I was really trying. Um, and what I think it's really interesting what Tara said about, particularly at Ketchum, we have recently in London moved to all be sitting together on one floor. Absolutely, everybody from the CEO to the accountants, everybody sits together. And I'm fascinated how people have rubbed off on one another Mm -hmm. so yes I agree with with uh, Tara that the stereotype the trope is that perhaps the corporate comms the PA people are a little more formal but you pop them next to somebody who's working on beauty and fashion and they're just as interested in each other's work and I think it's really helping everybody get better at what they do Mm. perhaps the fashion and beauty people are getting a little bit more professionalized but the corporate comms people are getting a little bit looser Mm. interesting do you see maybe a cross-pollination of ideas is that something you see from these environments that are perhaps intermingling more and have a more relaxed culture absolutely and i'm sure Terra will agree with this if we're putting together any sort of insight session or creative session we really do try and make sure that we cross-pollinate so we will also ask somebody from HR to join us somebody from finance to join us you know I've one of my favorite expressions is a good idea doesn't care who has it Mm. so and we don't care who has it we you know everybody's got a point of view and everybody's got an ability to have an idea and we really encourage that I think yeah Mm. we've got a really cool tool that we use at Ketchum and we call it passion panels and we created it several years ago when we were talking about how can we 
we wanted to talk more to our target audiences and you know we're working on very short timelines and we can't always actually literally get in front of regular consumers you know so we realized though that in many cases we are our own target audiences so um, I uh, happen to be an animal lover and um, Ruth loves going to the movies, for instance. And so we created this thing, as I said, called Passion Panels. And when you start at Ketchum, you take a survey. And it has almost any hobby you could possibly think of. And you, we, so we can collect a database of everyone's interests. So when I have a client now that's trying to sell dog food and I want to talk to dog lovers... They, in many cases, are just down the hall from me, or they may be around the world from me, but they are my colleagues, so I can pull them together, and we can brainstorm virtually together. We can do informal focus groups, and it's a really great way to... It's a perfect illustration of exactly what we're talking about, Arun, which is bringing your outside interests in, and as Ruth was saying, they might be in finance, they might be in HR, they might be other creative directors... Um, but it gives them a chance to talk about something that they're really passionate about besides their regular client work. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Is there a risk that bringing people's passions into the workplace, though, will stop them being passions, maybe? Are they passions because they're not, you know, something that they, that they do at work? I think, you know, it's possible. My sister is a professional artist, mm. and she started um, doing her art uh, when she was in college. She was a, so- a sociology major. And that didn't work for, out for her, but she's a great artist, and she's been doing it for almost 30 years, and she still has a real passion for it. And, so, and that is definitely her work and her livelihood. So I guess if I translate that into this conversation, um, you know, there certainly could be a possibility of it, but I think it's really a gift to be able to take something that you love when you're at home with your family, with your friends, and bring it into the office. Um, even if just for a short time. Mm. Okay. Ruth, any thoughts on that one? Yes. I, we actually really encourage people because can you imagine how motivated people are to work on something that they would be passionate about? Mm-hmm. So um, we encourage people to pick their dream client and start to think about how they might approach that. So it's not just their passion in terms of their hobbies but also their passion in something they love to use or buy or you know spend on Mm -hmm. and I think that really helps I mean it can't be great to work all the time on something you don't care about you 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 know you might get to care about it because it's a client but if you start off caring about it you're going to do such a a better job Um, so I I think bringing passion to work can never be a bad thing I I really don't think it's a problem Mm -hmm. and how do people respond to this kind of um, idea that work and life should be intertwined and is there a generational aspect to that yes there definitely is a generational aspect to it I think you know when people first start talking about work-life balance and bringing personal into work um, people are obviously uh, probably more more likely to want to bring personal into work than work into personal, but I think if you're fighting, if you fight it, that's where it ends up being a problem. If you just open up and say, "Look, sometimes I'm going to be talking about my hobbies or possibly doing my hobby somehow during work hours," but then conversely, you are taking an eight o'clock conference call because you are in the UK and you need to talk to the US. 
you know, that happens. But I think that you're not as upset about it because you know that you get to strike the balance. But mm-hmm. definitely, I agree with you. There, there absolutely is an age difference. I'm definitely of the older age where it wouldn't have, um, it would have been a little more difficult uh, to get people to mm-hmm. conform. They, they like the split between work and life. Ruth, your thoughts on that one? Are you seeing the same thing? Well, I am distressingly a bit of a marketing geek. So I love where Tara said, you know, it's not just about bringing your passions to work. It's about bringing work out of work. Mm. And I know it's so trite, that, uh, that expression where people say, do what you love and you don't work a day in your life. I don't necessarily believe that because trust me, I know I'm working. Mm. But I love and I'm not just saying this, I love brands, I love marketing. Mm -hmm. So I am looking at posters I walk to work, looking at them. I'm genuinely combining the two. Um, And I think there's a difference between combining your passions and exactly what Tara was talking about, combining your behaviours. And that's where I think we see the difference with the young generation. Mm -hmm. They aren't quite so keen, I, I think, to take calls at eight o'clock at night etc um and i think that's because they understand what's important to them mm. and i think we're just we just have a different attitude mm. um yeah and i can't i i don't know enough about the millennial mindset to explain that but i do know that when they're at work they're just as committed as we are mm. but then they don't have the same values of working long hours as, as being valuable, but they do value passion. So they value quality over perhaps the old tropes of quantity, like who's still in the office, yeah. etc. Yeah. But I think, you know, we all love it, and I think that shows. Yeah, I mean, we don't, I guess we don't want workforces where people are all the same, right? You know, with, right. The, with oh, the same yeah. ideas and passions. Um, so you talked about this, the, the idea that... W- there should be work-life balance is, mm-hmm. is something that maybe has, has, has kind of skewed this the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, of course, the risk is, as you've kind of just discussed, that work just takes over, I think. That's what people are worried about, I imagine. They're worried about the calls at, you know, 10 p.m. or, or, or being sent tons of emails on Saturday and Sunday. Is that uh, – how can you reassure people that, that that isn't what this means? Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question because I, I definitely want to clarify. I think that – The important thing to remember is that if work is going to come into your out-of-work hours, your formerly known as out-of-work hours, then then you should feel free to go on a walk on your lunch hour. And I know that that's kind of a trite example, but, um, you know, ride your bike to work. And if you end up being, if you are supposed to be in the office at 9 normally and you come in at 9.15 because you rode your bike to work, then, you know, that's okay, right? Because you love cycling. I just think there are a lot of um, ways. It's important, though, to make sure the balance goes both ways. That's mm-hmm. the way it works. Yeah. If it's only work going into personal, it won't work for anyone, mm-hmm. especially not for millennials, as Ruth said. So, um, so we need to make sure that as more senior people in the office that we are embracing the personal work as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we do a pretty good job of celebrating it. It's when you get too strict on either end that it can get uncomfortable for people. Mm. 
And Ruth, how do you kind of respond to that question that comes up from your own staff? Well, it's really interesting what Tara is saying because you may have seen me raise my eyebrows when she, she said 9.15 is late. Well, she just said yeah. that everyone at Ketchum, Chicago can come in at 9.15. Yeah. No, now. that's know. early for me, <laughs> you see. That's why, I'm, that's why I raise my eyebrows. My day is I get up, I walk... Mm-hmm. And I just heard somebody at Twitter saying he walks five miles to work, oh so gosh. I feel validated. Wow. I then swim, mm. where I do all my thinking. I then walk the rest of my way to work, talking into my phone, um, recording the things, thoughts I'd yeah. had in the swimming pool. Excellent. So to me, I, I'm not in the office, but I am better in the office because I did that. Mm. I, it, it is how I have my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So... In a way, I'm quite millennial in that mm-hmm. respect, in that I, I use that time to be better at work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do totally agree with Terra. Nobody is going to tell anyone that they need to combine their work and life so that, there is, that it's seamless and you, know, you have to work all the time. That isn't at all what we're saying. What I'm really just saying is, is you'll enjoy it more when you're here mm-hmm. if you don't make a distinction, if you don't make yourself... Ruth at work, Terra at work, Ruth out of work, Terra out of work. Mm-hmm. You need to be the same person. It was a piece of advice somebody gave me very early on in my career, and she said to me, you know, you will be happy if you can make your out-of-work self and your work self the same person. Mm-hmm. And it has really s- stuck with me, and I think that's what, what we're trying to say, mm-hmm. you know, just just be yourself. Yeah. We, we were in a session with Sir Ian McClellan, and um, he was talking about coming out as a gay man, and um, he talked about he was an actor um, who was closeted, and when he came out, his craft got better. He became a better actor. And we both were commenting on how that's a perfect illustration of this. Um, He started bringing his whole self to his work and his roles, and um, that's an example of this, a perfect example mm. of this. Bring your whole self. Sure. I mean, a, cu- a couple of questions spring to mind. Um, what if being yourself mm. is not supported in the culture of the as, in the culture of the workplace? Um, for example, there are, I would imagine, lots of minorities in the U.S. and the U.K. Perhaps who would say that being themselves is less supported uh, in a in your average PR agency culture than it should be. I think it's very difficult for us as white women, you know, women mm-hmm. to, to own that and, and discuss that on behalf of other people. Yeah. I think all we can say is that Ketchum absolutely embraces inclusivity. Mm. Um, we heard our echo chamber talk today, that you know, and, and one of the key speakers was the head of diversity for Omnicom. It's something that Omnicom really takes seriously mm. and also totally understands that it, unless we do have diverse voices and attitudes and we look at gender and transgender and colour and age and sexuality and all of those things, unless we mix that up, we will not be a, a great organisation. But I think beyond that, it's very hard for us to, to talk about that because we are white privileged women, mm. you know. Um, I mean, I guess the challenge, uh, I don't know if you, if, you, if you wanted to address this, Tara, but I guess the challenge is, is maybe making people feel comfortable within a, a particular culture, regardless of, of where they're from, what gender they are, what, you know, what their sexual orientation is. Yeah, I, I, would, I would like to address that. We, um, 
you know, at Ketchum, we've got a, a diversity and inclusion team. And mm. in my office, we have um, a committee, a diversity and inclusion committee, and they um, are currently back home celebrating Gay Pride Month because it's June um, and doing special events related to that. And I hope that that makes everyone in the office feel very supported and celebratory. Um, you know, we are not perfect. We are doing our best mm -hmm. to, and, yeah. and we really are making a concerted effort, but um, it is our absolute intent that everyone should feel welcome, whoever they are, you know, in the workplace. And that's something that we, that's extremely important to us. Yeah, and I think you, you guys are, I mean, you guys, you men and women, are doing a lot at Ketchum, from what I understand. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken to your, your CEO about it, and I, you know, unconscious bias training and, yes. and yes. a lot of efforts right. underway yeah. so okay so last question um for both of you and and, and uh, ruth you kind of answered this already um but so i'll start with you tara and then okay. ruth you can think about whether you've got a different answer um where do you get your most creative ideas mm. not in the shower oh i don't okay. know why people say that I there, don't there's a there's a there is actually some science behind that apparently because yeah. you're there's some, something to do with your consciousness and the, the effect of warm water. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. I need to get back in the bathtub or something. <laughs> I um, no, I don't. I, I um, you know, I get my most my most creative ideas um, when I'm shopping. Oh, okay. Um, and shopping is not a great hobby of mine. I'm going yeah. to say, but but I will. Um, it's most an expensive of, way to come mm -hmm. up with ideas. Well, I mean, I might be grocery shopping. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, you know, m most of my clients are um, the ones that I. I'm digging deep into are in uh, consumer packaged goods and um, and so when I'm out and with other people shopping and and that sort of thing so yeah it could get expensive but um, so when I'm actually out being a consumer is right. when I get yeah. my ideas okay and that makes a lot of sense yeah Ruth apart from swimming well it's interesting because of course I'm actually um, all about insights and mm -hmm. strategy so for me on the bus mm. I just spend the whole time looking at people and thinking now why did you why are you carrying that why have you got those earphones why did you choose that shirt where are you going I'm really really interested in people and how mm. they tick um, because I believe that you get a great idea once you've got a really good insight yeah so yes yeah, swimming is where I have my ideas mm. I think but in the world, I'm constantly just being uh, just really curious and nosy and looking for an insight all yeah. the time. Both of you, both of you answered like true planners, <laughs> yeah. for looking yeah. for, for, for the insight first. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I thank really you. hope you enjoy the rest of your time um, you. at Cannes. Thank you all for listening. Um, thank you very much, Russell, for helping us out today. And we'll be back soon. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by March Communications, connecting innovation and people.